Let's go to God in prayer before we open up our text this morning. Our Father and our God, we are um, humbled at the opportunity that we have to come before your throne of grace and to lay before you the things that are on our hearts and on our minds. We are humbled by your faithfulness, by your love, your, your unceasing love that constantly continues to seek out those who are in need of hearing what you have to say. Constantly in search of your people, constantly calling and beckoning us to be uh, more like you each and every day. We thank you for Jesus, for our Savior, our Redeemer, for his willingness to go to the cross and, and to endure on himself the punishment that was due to us. We thank you for his sacrifice that we might live, that we might live with hope, that we might live with peace, that we might live with joy. May we be mindful of him, what he has done, and of your calling for us as your people as we leave this place. May your spirit work on us today and continue to work on us as we leave here that we might be transformed into your image. And that we would be a people who live life constantly seeking out the opportunities that you lay before us to be your people and to be a testimony of your gospel. May we be a light in this world, constantly shining and bringing you glory. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be looking for the next several weeks at uh, uh, the book of Ephesians. Uh, we're going to start today in Ephesians chapter 1. And, and what we see in Ephesians is really we are a constant work in progress. That you are a masterpiece. Uh, you might not see it yet. You might not look like it yet. You not, might not be there yet. But we are all a masterpiece in progress. And I don't know if you've seen uh, any kind of artwork in progress um, one of my favorite TV shows on Saturday mornings growing up was Bob Ross. Um, I loved seeing that Brillo pad and that easel. And, and he would look and he would just have these things and it would just look like a mess, right? It was an was oil painting mess. And it's like I would look at it and go, you know what, I could paint blobs like anybody else. And that's all it really looked like was a blob until he would take one little brush stroke and just pull it down and all of a sudden... Just like that, it becomes this masterpiece. Um, you can look on YouTube and watch these street artists that use different kinds of spray paint and different textures, and it's the same thing. Like, they go through and they look, and, and as they're going through it all, it's like, that looks like a mess. It looks terrible. But all it takes is one little stroke or one little swipe or one little carve, and all of a sudden this beautiful image, this beautiful picture emerges a masterpiece in progress. You know, when we live in, in a culture today, we are so inundated with these images of God um, that are far less than flattering and, and even farther less than accurate. And, and they depict a God that is just distant, that is very, very far away. Uh, the philosophers would call it the, uh, the clockmaker God, the God who created this clock and set it in motion and then exists with hands off just to see what might transpire. 
But the truth is, when not only when we look at Scripture, but if we really dig deep into our own experiences, what we find is that we find a God that is actively involved in the lives of His people. And not only is He actively involved in the lives of His people, we see a God that is personally invested in who we are, so invested that He gave His only Son that we might live. And you think about what it means to be invested in something. How much more do you want something to succeed? How much more do you want something to be taken care of when you have an investment in what has gone on in the procurement of those things? You know, if someone gives me something as a gift and something happens to it, I, I, might, um, I might mourn its loss. I might miss it. I might want to go replace it. But it's not the same as something that I saved up for and purchased on my own. Um, I, I remember the the first time I bought something big in my life. Um, all of a sudden, responsibility takes on a whole new meaning when I am responsible for all of the things that transpire. When I'm responsible for the upkeep, and and when it's been my hard work and my um, time and my investment that's gone into receiving something. It's not just this really neat thing that I have to have. It's something that I want to take care of. And I want it to last because I know what I went through to get it. The Son of God left His place in heaven. Abandoned the form that He once had to come to earth. He was clothed in a human body and he walked the life of a human and lived as you and I lived. He gave himself up on the cross of Calvary and took on a resurrection form that was different than what he had before so that you and I might live. You see, God has a very real and personal investment in our success as his people. And he is actively involved. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1. And as he sets the stage here, let's look at the first, uh, or verses 3 through 8. Uh, Paul begins with his normal uh, beginning, as in all of his letters. And, and in verse 3, he says, Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. You see, this is this real investment that he has. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing that exists. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and to be blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted through Jesus Christ for himself, according to his favor and to his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he favored us within the beloved. You see, from the very beginning of time, there was this special people that were devoted, that were set apart. Set in motion was this plan to bring people, to bring humanity back to himself. Verse 7, we have redemption in him through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and with all understanding. There is this grace of God that comes in that He has lavished on us. And you see, we have a God, we serve a God that isn't just passively standing by watching to see what transpires, 
down there on the old earth. But we have a God that has lavished us with His grace. You know what that means to be lavished? It's probably not a word that we use very often. How many of you have used lavished in the last week? I didn't think so. You think about how we tend to give gifts, though, as people, or how we tend to share. I like to share sparingly, and if, if I have a lot of something, I might give you a little, but I don't want to be too sacrificial. As we were driving down the, the interstate yesterday, coming back from our evening out, we passed the, the billboard that said the, the, the lottery was like 375, Powerball was $375 million, and, and the Mega Millions was $475 million. I said, I can't even begin to imagine what I would do with so much money. And I told Heather, I said, I can't even imagine what I would do if someone said, here, I have 400 of these, why don't you just take one? But who in the world, even someone who won the lottery, they don't just start going, doling out money, right? Because we don't know what it means to lavish gifts onto people. Because what we have, we want to keep. Now, I might be obligated to share with a few people in my life, but even sometimes in that case, I want to share sparingly because I kind of like what I have. Paul was talking about a God that has lavished not just any gift but the gift of his grace he pours out into our lives in such a rich deep full measure it encompasses every place in which we have fallen short of his expectations You see, from the very, very beginning, the very purpose of God is to bring all things together in Christ. And how, how many times have we talked about this over the last year or a year and a half? That this is why God's plan exists, is for this very reason. That all things created might be restored to Him. To be brought back into order and, and, and from the first moment that sin entered the world in fact even before that moment this plan was put in place that from the beginning of time we were predestined to become children of God that there was this plan set in place the purpose of God is to bring all things together under Christ and look at what he writes in Ephesians chapter, chapter 1 and verse 9 and he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he planned in him for the administration of the days of fulfillment to bring everything together in the Messiah, both things in heaven and things on the earth. In him, he says, he says see, everything, everything that is created is bound together in Christ. And we have all sorts of things and all sorts of ways of segregating and dividing and pushing people away. And God says, I am bringing you all together in Jesus. And it's hard to imagine that God would pursue people 
the way that he does, it, it, it is much easier for me to see how he pursues me because I try to do well. I try to do right. I try to live right. I try to treat people the right way. And I think I'm pretty downright lovable. Especially when you compare it to the people that I encounter out there who are anything but lovable. They are hateful. They are murderous. They're idolatrous. They have the last, pleasing God is the last thing on their minds. At the same time, Jesus says, when you were one of them, I died for you. I didn't die for you because you loved me. I didn't die for you because you wanted to be like me. I didn't die for you because you were one of my children. I died for you while you were still an enemy of the cross. Because in Christ, all things are brought together. This has been God's design and his desire from the beginning. That all things would be restored. Verse 11 through 14. We have also received an inheritance in him. Predestined. This, here we are again. This from the beginning of time. This was put into motion. Predestined according to the purpose of the one who works out everything in agreement with the decision of his will so that we who had already put our hope in the Messiah might bring praise to his glory. When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation... And when you believed in him, you were also sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. He is the down payment of our inheritance for the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. Beautiful image here of the way the spirit of God works. Do you see this, that that all of those who are together under Christ, all of those who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have received the Holy Spirit dwelling within them, and now we have this Holy Spirit that is a seal of God's people. That when God looks down and He sees the Holy Spirit dwelling within me, He knows that's one of mine. One of my kids. One of my children. I mean, how much pride does it bring us when our children do good things? I look at some of the students that have come through my ministry in the past. Um, and even though it wasn't a very long ministry and youth ministry, we had a very deep connection with, with a lot of the kids that came through. They... They trained us. Their families were patient with us as we learned what it meant to work in church work, to be ministers. And I see what some of those kids are out doing now, and I see them, and I know they're not my own children, but there's this sense of pride because of the investment that we had in their lives and their willingness to go on and do good things. I can only imagine how much, how, how much how many times more amplified that is when God looks and sees his people and he says, I know that's mine, and I know it's mine because they're sealed by my spirit. There is a piece of me dwelling within them. I mean, do we understand that? That a piece 
of the creator of heaven dwells within us when he gives us his spirit. Paul's language here in this passage emphasizes God's sovereignty as well. The sovereignty as he works as this master planner to restore the lost. From the beginning of time, this was predestined to occur. He knew it was going to occur. He knew he was going to need a, a plan to bring restoration, so he set it in motion. And here we are, recipients of God's grace, recipients of the gifts that which he has lavished on us. Not only is it his plan, but he has the ability to bring everything back into a right relationship with God. We all have a specialty, right? There are things that you are really, really good at. And there are some things that you are probably really, really not good at. Well, God is probably really, really not good at anything. But what he is really, really good at is he is really good at restoration. And I really enjoy a good uh, restoration story. Um, in fact, I don't know if you watch the, the, the TV show Fixer Upper, um, but the only thing that that show Fixer Upper does for me is give me dreams of what my house might one day look like, right? But they'll take a house like this. I don't know how well you can see that, but, you know, the columns are, are, are leaning. It's, a, it's an old, dilapidated, run-down house that they probably bought for cheap. And they're going to sell for, I don't need air quotes for this, not cheap. Uh, but in the meantime, what they have is they have this whole series where they're picking out floors and colors. And all I'm seeing is dollar signs going, yeah, I know how much that costs because I've looked at it. I wanted my house to be one of these fixer-uppers because it turns out looking um, like this. I don't know if that's going to, will it come up? There we go. You believe that's the same house? I knew that's the same yard. Like, I don't care about the house. I just want my yard to look like that. More importantly, I want my yard to stay looking like that for more than a day. Um, I've never been somewhere where you have to mow your yard so much. Like in Oklahoma, we had to mow our yard like once every two or three weeks because without water, things don't grow. It just kind of stays nice and cut. I have to mow my yard twice a week here. That's insane, people. Can we not find some way of making some grass that just stays like that, nice and freshly cut, so I can once, just once, get the yard of the month sign in my neighborhood? But we love these stories of restoration, don't we? Why? Because they bring us hope, right? right? They give us this idea that, that, if, that if they can turn that house into that house and not change the structure, maybe there's hope for this old body of mine. I can watch The Biggest Loser and see the transformation that goes on in those lives. Maybe there's hope for this whole body of mine. You see, restoration is God's specialty. And the truth really is this. If we really desire authentic relationship with God, it must be a dynamic relationship. Uh, because we get really comfortable in places where we don't have to change. Right? Frequently, when we uh, change jobs, we're going to change jobs to do the same thing that we've done, so I don't have to learn anything new, because it's hard learning new stuff. Um, I learned that it's hard learning new stuff the hard way. 
right, I, I quit a job I'd been doing for 11 years, and I thought, you know, let me just go back to school. That'll be a breeze. Not a breeze. Going back to school at 30 years old with a wife and three kids, not a breeze. Uh, but it was too late. I had already made the decision. I'd already paid the tuition, and I was already in. More importantly, my wife was already on board. Not changing again. She probably wouldn't have let me if I'd tried. Learning new things, growing is uncomfortable, and, and, and being stretched and challenged is uncomfortable. But an authentic relationship with God, essentially, that's what Jesus says. You can come as you are, but you can't stay the same. I will take you in any condition that you exist, but I will transform you if you're going to have a relationship with me. I will change you, I will mold you, I will shape you. You will look more and more like me every day. It is not going to be comfortable, but it's just the way it is. It is dynamic. I mean, can you imagine if we had relationships that never matured? Heather and I will be married 22 years this summer. And I look back at those first couple of years that we were married, and honestly, it's a wonder she stuck around. It really is. Uh, I look back and go, you know, I was really not an easy person to live with. I was the oldest child in my family. I was the oldest grandchild in my family. I was spoiled rotten growing up. My grandparents spoiled me. I was the pride and joy of, of the family, both sides. Even still today, in, in a room full of all of my cousins, my, my grandmother would walk up and say, oh, there's my precious firstborn. Like... <laughs> It makes me feel a little uncomfortable, but not so much, right? I don't mind being treated a little special. Oh, but, but, but what if we had never moved past those first few stages of a relationship? You miss out on that, the deep connection that you get of, of growing up together. The intimacy that comes from knowing someone in a way that no one else knows someone else. What makes someone work in their innermost being that, that you grow to understand over time if you refuse to be static. And, and we understand that in our everyday lives, right? We see it in our friendships, we see it in our families, we see it in our work relationships, but somehow we have this idea that we can come to God and just say, well, you know, I'm just good. I'm good with the God level in my life. I know God, and I know Him this way, and I'm okay with it. But our relationship with God, if it is going to be authentic, must be dynamic. Look at what Paul writes in verse 15. Look at the intimacy that he writes with here. This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. And I pray that the perception of your mind may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the glorious riches of His inheritance among the saints, that there is this enlightenment that comes about, and day after day after day we learn something new because we are constantly in pursuit of something new about God. A desire to know Him deeper and more fervently every day. That drives us 
as his people because we refuse to be static. Because here is what I know. I've seen it in my human relationships, and I can see it in my relationship with God. That a static relationship is not authentic. If I am the same Christian today that I was a year ago or two years ago or ten years ago, I'm not living an authentic relationship with God. Because if we are in an authentic relationship with God, it will be dynamic and He will drive us to a deeper understanding and a deeper desire to do His will. Because there is a great difference in knowing someone and knowing about someone. We cannot be content with knowing about God the way we are content with knowing about most of the connections that we have in this world. I am friends with a lot of people on Facebook. But just because I know about them, because I know their work history, and I know how many times they've moved, and I certainly know what they had for breakfast, because we love taking pictures of our food for some reason. I know what they did on vacation, and and I see all the perfect little parts of their lives. Or I know what kind of media they like, because I see what they share. There's a difference in knowing about someone and knowing someone. We can know about God. We can read and we can memorize all the scripture we want and know intellectually about the God that is here But he asked for something even more than that. He says, yes, I want you to know about me, but I want you to know me. And I want to know you. Verse 19 goes back to this sovereignty and, and, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power. He says, this is what I want you to know. To those of us who believe according to the working of his vast strength. He demonstrated this power in the Messiah by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand. Far above every ruler and authority and power and dominion and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he has put everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything in the church, which is the body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. 